the Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 225 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between, how to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. Today we have on the fantastic Blaine brothers, Ben and Chris Blaine, the fantastic duo. Uh, they have made recently, co-directed together, Sarah Pascoe versus Monogamy and Out of Her Mind on the BBC. And also the fantastic feature film, Nina Forever, which won the total films, best film at Fright Fest and the audience award at Toronto after dark. Myself and fellow host Dom Lenoir had a fantastic chat with the boys. Uh, they dived in and talked to us about how and why they made a feature film when they were at school. They also talked about why people get scared and also networking, making friends, collaboration and co-directing. They also talk about the SEIS scheme, about raising money, getting money into a pot. And do you put your own money in? We also talk about dealing with intimacy on set and also the editing process. And that's all coming up for you wonderful people. Thank you so much for listening. Your support over the past 224 episodes has been incredible thank you all for your love last week on the Gemma Hurley episode really you love that and she is fantastic screenwriters if you haven't listened do go back and listen to to that with Gemma to that episode with Gemma after you've heard this one I am Giles Alderson and I am literally five days away from making my next feature film that is the World War II feature. The announcement is going to be in the trades this week, so do look out for that because I can't tell you who the cast is yet until that has been announced. But I am delighted. I'm over the moon. It's great for an indie film to get these kind of people coming on board and wanting to play. And it's going to be tough. There's no question about it. Making a World War II film. So what have I been doing in the last week? What does the director do to prepare leading up to a feature film? Well... I've been redoing my shot list, going through it again, tweaking the script. I've been doing read-throughs with my actors. We did a full table read-through. I've been talking to the actors about individually about their characters, about their roles. Um, I've been doing camera tests with Stu White, our DOP. I've been talking to makeup uh, and costume, all about the design of the, the actors, what they're going to look like. We've done some tests as well with them. And I've been talking heavily with the art department and with stunts and with SFX, special effects, about where we're doing all the action, where are the bombs going to explode, how are we going to get that effect of a bullet, how are we going to get the blood splatter or the look from an aeroplane, how are we doing it all? And we've been going through that in minute detail. It's been lots of hours on Zoom. I'd have much preferred it in a room, but there we have it. By the time you hear this, I will be pretty much on set. Uh, I'll be flying around from location to location, seeing people in the flesh, um, all masked up, all COVID safe, but I can't wait. I love to be on set. It's an amazing place to be. I live for it, and I cannot wait to get that, honestly. It's frightening, 100%. Am I anxious? Yes. But do I want to do it? 
I will fill you in as much as I can. Live from set, I'll certainly do the intros from there. The fantastic Tobias Vs is now stepping up to edit all the episodes while I'm away. Thank you, Toby. Uh, but I will be doing the intro from on set, so I will give you some tidbits. And when I finish, I uh, will do a big rundown for you as well. Wish me luck. No, really wish me luck. Do remember the Barnes Film Festival is ongoing. It starts this week, the 17th to the 23rd of June. Barnes is pretty much in the London area. So if you're around there, do go. They've got some amazing talks. We would be there if I wasn't away filming. Granada Nights is screening on Wednesday the 23rd. We've got the speakers like Will Poulter, George McKay, Mike Bartlett, uh, Cameron Saunders and Larry Smith and many, many more. So do get down to that. Link to that is in the show notes right right let's get to it our episode with the fantastic blaine brothers ben and chris myself and dom lemoire sit back relax and enjoy good well listen thank you so much for for coming on the filmmakers podcast we really appreciate it and pleasure known, thank you for having us oh pleasure i've known about you guys for a long time um back when i was acting i used to go to a casting session and there was a lady there and on the wall was a poster for nina forever um, and it was your casting director, and I'm going to try and say her name right, Emily Teleni. Uh, Tulele, yeah. Yeah. Tulele, Emily Tulele, yeah, and she had this on her wall constantly. So I was like, Nina Forever, Nina Forever. I've got to watch that, and I watched it, and I thought it was fantastic. Um, that was that was that was uh, 2015, wasn't it? It was, yeah, yeah. It definitely got a lot of press. Like uh, the name, the name is sort of floated about in all kinds of places that you know across London, uh, and, and I was quite surprised at you know, what a, what a sort of a household name for, for the, the movie it became. Yeah. 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 I mean, we were really pleased with how it actually all came out for it and, you know, the response it got, cause it was something that we were uh, made for not very much money at all. And, um, yeah, you know, initially we were kind of thinking that we were writing something that we thought no one would want us to make and that we'd just go off and do it with like a DSLR and three actors in a room basically. But, um, yeah. It got a little bit bigger than that, but um, yeah, not much bigger. And, no, uh, so, not yeah. massively bigger. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did it all start? So literally we, we'd been editing TV, uh, doing comedy TV stuff, and had been seeing the way that TV channels will box things into the regular sort of shape, which is what you, you, know, you, you sort of expect them to do. It's, you know, yeah, this is going out on BBC Two or BBC Three, whatever. It's going to want to fit their particular kind of show but a lot of the time the fun stuff would get cut out the weird stuff like uh, there's one bit of um kevin eldon mm. jumping uh, seeing somebody uh, getting pushed into a river uh, to be killed and just shouting no and the take <laughs> was literally like two minutes long he's yeah, it's two and a half minutes yeah, and it was hysterically funny. Incredible just, lung power, yeah. Wow, that's like someone yeah. who can dive deep who can yeah. do that much. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. yeah, so it properly did the, you know, that's funny. Oh, okay, that's not funny anymore. Oh, that is funny. Oh, that's not <laughs> funny anymore. Oh my goodness, this is really funny because it just kept going and we were so, we really wanted to have that in at the final cut and obviously we were never going to get it. No, that's <laughs> a bit like Partridge's Dan, isn't it? Dan! Yeah. Dan! Dan! <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it just keeps going. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, no, they just, I imagine TV were like, no, no chance is that staying in for that long. Yeah. So you had to Basically. cut it to, yeah. Yeah, so you're cutting stuff to standard length and we were yeah. writing feature films um, that we were trying to 
shape into a stand more standard formats um of what uh, people expect you to write and we found that we were cutting out the stuff that we liked and mm. the stuff that we loved in fact and to the point where you're kind of like okay if we just got rid of the only reason to write this film <laughs> yeah then it would work and you're like well why have we written this film then yeah everyone else has already written this film we don't you don't need our version of the film you've already seen seven times totally yeah absolutely yeah. um so that was so that was one of your sort of reasons you were like well let's do it our own way let's make our own film yeah in a sense yeah yeah exactly exactly that and just being it was really nice and freeing to be like we're just going to write whatever shit comes in our head it's the best way sometimes though isn't it we call it a vomit draft right i mean it's it's, it's a disgusting yeah. term but it, it does make sense just get it all out on the page and yeah. see what happens and that was was that was it the first thing you'd written i mean you'd made so many shorts before then you'd done loads and loads was it in terms of a feature film was nina forever it wasn't the first thing you'd written was it no, no, we'd we'd been writing. I mean, we sort of started out writing features before shorts. You know, that was sort of the first thought was, "What's a film? It's this long. Can we, having written that, can we make that? No. <laughs> could, could, could we, should, should we write one that's ten minutes long instead? Why did you think you couldn't make it? And this is interesting because a lot of filmmakers go, "Well, I want to write a script and I want to get one made." And what was it that you went, "We can't get this made"? That's interesting. Question. I mean, of course, actually, ironically, I'm. I'm talking nonsense because the very first thing we did was feature length we adapted the whole of the bible the whole of the small, bible small project <laughs> yeah basically I mean, it was <laughs> a school up. project it was it was oh, once right. a mile a day um yeah. so six of us kind of i must say six of us me and chris and occasionally some other people who we dragged in um often reluctantly and glued fake beards on them uh yeah we we, we just it, it sort of grew out of a very silly joke about a friend of ours and um yeah we did the whole the old testament and new testament all the way through yeah <laughs> wait wait so you did you wrote a feature film based on the bible, bible. old testament new testament yeah full like yeah, full. All, the, all the way to armageddon yeah yeah wow um, but i mean you know it was uh, it meant to condensed. be funny <laughs> oh, it was meant to be funny so, yeah okay. yeah, yeah okay. It, was, it was meant to be uh, meant to be funny sometimes some of it even was um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah a lot of diversions but you know i think we paid you know um, a, a, what's, a fair what's enough tribute to uh most of the parts of the bible it well it it, it um got banned at school um brilliant of course really good for sales yeah, yeah really good for so sales. we sold we sold a lot of ehs off the back of uh getting banned <laughs> yeah. did you actually make it yeah 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 we made it we shot it on this sort of vhsc camcorder wow in yeah. a succession of kind of back gardens and our kind of local bit of scrubby woodland and and walking around the streets kind of interviewing people asking locals if they had ever had a virgin birth <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was just it really was just kind of an excuse for being silly one silly summer and getting away with being a bit naughty yeah, yeah exactly yeah and then our school banned it and we made money out of selling it and it was just sort of like god this is a lot of fun isn't it yeah i, I think it's i think it's a really good way to go because I, I think the sort of general sort of procedure that's sort of passed down is that you have to make shorts and then you make then you come to sort of work up to making a feature i mean I, I kind of worked the other way around and, and did a similar thing like there was two of us and we made a we tried to make lord of the rings as our first sort of feature 
um, and just running around the country like I don't know which is harder Lord of the Rings <laughs> or the Bible here <laughs> this is insane what not to do when making a film <laughs> hot air balloons what else can we do <laughs> chuck it all in there <laughs> but, but it, it, the thing is by, by going through the process of, of making a feature you learn how to make a feature and, and yeah. it, it, it is a skill set and the thing is as long as you're not like you know aiming to actually make something that's going to get into the cinemas it, it is a fantastic process and sometimes it's you know you do get a lot of valuable insight doing that which then can can sort of teach you a lot of lessons that then make you make better shorts afterwards yeah, yeah. Mate, i mean yeah. i think actually aiming to do something that that isn't going to get into the cinema is actually a really important stage to go through like with shorts as well you meet a lot of people who are sort of trying to make their first short film and their only sense of it is that it has to be perfect. And obviously you can't go into making anything kind of wanting it not to be perfect, but when it has to be flawless rather than it has to be, mm. that always seems like the wrong, particularly with those early films that you make. And to have something like, like making a feature film first, where you go, obviously our expectation for this was not for it to get a nationwide release. And yeah, there's an incredible freedom in that, but freedom to experiment and freedom to fail and a freedom to learn as a result, you know, and I think that it, it was something, it was an energy that sort of ran through our early shorts as well, that we sort of very much were just experimenting and that it, it that felt okay. Like it didn't feel like this film has to be perfect. It took us a long time actually, and sort of discussions with people who were saying they wouldn't be our agent before we started to realize that we actually needed to actually do something that could be perfect that could be could be of a quality there was this thing called production values which yeah. uh, oh, yeah. which you just didn't yeah. care about when you're making your bibles and your lord of the rings yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> but but it, it's i think it's one of those things that when you i mean what you said about being perfect that there's there's another level to that as well and i think i think a lot of people try and make a safe film that's low concept low ambition because they're like well let's do something that's you know inverted commas achievable and what happens there is that you you don't learn to fail you don't you don't aim really high. You know, I've always thought that it's better to try and make something ridiculously ambitious and succeed in some aspects. And, you know, even if you have five seconds of your film that feels like a Hollywood film and you know the rest fails, you've learned how to, to, to reach those levels. Whereas if you sort of aim for mediocrity, you you just make a mediocre film. Yeah. This is it. The Filmmakers Podcast wants you to aim for mediocrity. This is, <laughs> this is what we're saying here. <laughs> That's on a t-shirt. Aim for mediocrity. You might succeed. <laughs> on the short film front, actually, a lot of the time we'd be doing something where we were really aiming really high and that film wouldn't necessarily come off in the way that we wanted it to. And then the next one would be kind of like, sure, we'll just knock that out. And that one was like, oh yeah, that one everybody likes and we really like and it just feels really like it has mm -hmm. everything that you kind of want like a lot of the time with a short because they're so you know simple it really does you know when it feels like it has just come out all in one go it actually makes it feel quite special i like that yeah i think that's really interesting isn't it? we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves or making our first features or whatever we really it suddenly becomes oh my god it has to be good it has to be amazing it has to win awards well actually no you're right like you say you guys all three of you went off and made stuff that you were just like look i'm just sticking this out there let's see what happens and you know chris and ben you made money from yours which is quite incredible did you make your own like you videos? retire on it that's not that, yeah sure sure but at the school at the time what how old are you 16 17 something like that yeah something yeah. like that and you're selling them on vhs you were copying them onto vhs and yeah. then selling them around school that's right. yeah 
That's really cool. I mean, it really is. Uh, you must have been the kids, you know, who were making movies at the time. And uh, that must have been quite a nice reputation, I suppose, to have. We were the weird ones in the corner, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really cool, though. I think that's the drive. I, I was always making stuff at school as well, but never never really picked up a camera. If I did, it was, you know, worrying about it. And I think it's really nice that you did that. Wh what did you do after that then? How did you go from making the Bible we'll call it. Uh, was it called the Bible? What was it called? Yeah, it, was, it was called the Bible according to Charlie uh, for reasons that are really not interesting enough to go into. <laughs> <laughs> That's even more interesting. I like that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, the Bible according to Charlie. And then how did you then go from there to, to getting into TV and getting into film? So we started making short films. Um, yeah. And uh, I was working in a news agent. One of the guys who used to come in there uh, was friends with the guy who was with who played Rabsi Nesbit, and wow. he saw he saw yeah, basically some of, of fame around yeah here. yeah the but, Hamlet but he, the Hamlet guy from the advert wasn't that remember that yeah. the yeah the Hamlet cigars it was famous for that it was really yeah. cool yeah um, and he saw I think a bit of the Bible and was like yeah you kind of need to do some exercises to figure out how to actually make a film and so set us a challenge of making a short film that he'd help us out on and wow so we made this short which I think it took me about a decade to understand what Ben had written um, <laughs> later from what we'd done. But we, should, we shot this thing, did it on 16 mil uh, with a higher firm who, when we turned up, were like, oh shit, you guys are kids. No, we're not going to let you have our camera. Uh, but I tell you what, we'll come along and help you make it. Cool. Even I mean, better. We had, we had no insurance. Like we no, turned of course up, not. Because we'd yeah, only used VHSC, we genuinely turned up expecting to hire a camera, just be like, here we go, here's the money, mm -hmm. we'll have the camera, please. And then mm -hmm. to sit us down and go kind of like, you do realise that, you know, this is a, the RESR2 costs hundreds of thousands of, of pounds. Yes. And if you hold it the wrong way, you will break it. And then you will cost us hundreds of thousands of pounds. It's like you're <laughs> yeah. not walking out of the room with this. Yeah. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> so yeah so we got help from them and from robert and uh from boyd and robert and we made this short film called crowd scene for existentialists and it was basically a crowd scene because there was three people um cool. and uh, it got into edinburgh film festival wow yeah we were like oh well this is pretty easy i guess we'll be making yeah. feature films pretty soon yeah yeah easy <laughs> yeah. and they say you're already this is what 17 18 now at this point yeah, 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 yeah. Still not twenty when we But you got into the Edinburgh Film Festival that age. This is this is amazing. I mean, yeah. already that's a huge, like you say, a huge achievement. But then you're thinking, great, people are going to come knocking on the door, and yeah. life's going to change. But <laughs> so the, the 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 industry screening we went to at Edinburgh, uh, there was one other person in the screening, which was sort of useful because oh, no. we shot it on we shot it on Super Sixteen, and mm. so the sound was separate. And yeah. um, we chose Super 16 purely because uh, I figured that because it was called Super, it had to be better, right. <laughs> which is not, <laughs> for those of you who, you know, for, who haven't dabbled with film, that's not the reasoning. No, because <laughs> yeah. it's called Super doesn't mean it's Super. What, so Super 35 isn't better than Normal 35? So the Super bit means that basically the bit that they normally reserve for the sound gets taken up by the picture. And so the sound has to go separately with 16 mm -hmm. mil. And um, that meant with ours that it was out of sync uh, when it played back at uh, Edinburgh. So the wine person in the room oh, no. turned around to us and said, uh, was that your film? We were like, yeah. He was like, I'll buy you a drink afterwards. Oh, bless. And you're like, we can't drink, we're not old enough. <laughs> but we'll take it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, after 
Yeah, so, so you did, got into Edinburgh and did, did anything happen at all from the back of it or? Not really. I mean, we, we you know, it was interesting at that point at that festival there where we had did have, you know, they do like round tables and stuff like that. So we did mm-hmm. actually meet a whole bunch of people that didn't really know how to follow up on it. And yeah, we basically made a lot more short films for quite a long time, actually learning how to do it properly. And we, we bought an XL1 and so we we're making stuff on mini DV mm-hmm. and editing stuff yet. Yeah and um and editing on final cut pro one wow the first yeah yeah, yeah man it was like uh you know premiere always used to crash back in those days yes, um, it did. It still does it still does <laughs> it still but does. it's got better yeah. it's definitely got better. yeah yeah so yeah, yeah we were kind of like um yeah final cut sounded like it was going to be good and so we'd invested in that and then and, and uh what was it a g3 mac pro g4 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 no yeah, slate gray color yeah it was a g4 yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, so we were editing away on this thing, basically, and enjoying ourselves, just churning out short after short. And we we got into a few little festivals with it, um, but nothing major. And at that time, because the short film world was quite small, um, they basically had this one stipulation. If you wanted to uh, stick a short film in for the BAFTAs, which was you had to have a 35 mil print. And that meant that it was a level that they would to watch it so you didn't need to get into any specific festival or anything like that it was just ah. literally tick the box yeah we've got a 35 mil print and we were like yeah yeah yeah, sure of yeah, course, course we have. have of course we have and you didn't no, no of course we didn't yeah. uh, so then then we got a phone call saying you send us your 35 mil print <laughs> yeah oh <my laughs> you, you've, been, you've been long-listed you've been long-listed um, for a BAFTA uh, uh, yeah. shit now what do you do well, so, <laughs> they, they were like well look calm down because like the, the, then you need the prints because the final the shortlist is 10 and they get screened in front of the judges in the cinema so if you're not in that then then don't worry about it we were like oh that's good because we've looked into it and it's going to cost about five thousand pounds to get this made and yeah. the film itself cost about a thousand so you right. know it, it really isn't something we want to do and then two weeks later they rang back and they were like yeah you've been shortlisted could you send in your 35 mil print please oh my gosh uh yeah so yeah so we, we basically managed to raise it from friends and family and then did you uh, really that's incredible yeah well got, a fo- got a print made got yeah. told off for the incredibly bad sound mixing because at that point final cut didn't even have any sound levels in it <laughs> yeah, there's no way of monitoring sound <laughs> in final cut one and so we just again again much like hiring the camera we went the guy rang us up and was like what are you playing at like if i run this through my incredibly expensive equipment to make an optical print of this sound it will destroy it and i will charge you a hundred thousand pounds <laughs> like Still no insurance at this stage. You're like, oh yeah, my god, no! no but he was so sweet. He actually kind of then, when he realised that we were idiots, um, he also was just like, oh, come in. And so we went into his kind of, you know, film printing place in Soho, and he kind of showed us everything he did. It was amazing. It was like wow. it was a hands-on lesson of kind of his whole sound design approach and his sort of, you know, he, he, you know, he was at that stage where he sort of still had kind of all these reels of optical sound of sort of, you know, bits of sound he'd recorded over the years. And when he was like, kind of like when I want that, you know, I fish that out and put that in and it was really exciting. It was really nice. Yeah. And he gave us the nicest compliment that I think that we've ever had, which was saying that the short film was really like Powell and Pressburger. And we were like, yeah. Wow. Cool. That's really cool. And did he manage to sync it all up for you? And get, yeah, did you this get the one print worked. done? This one, right, this one right, worked right. in sync and and loveliness. Although the, the guys at Technicolor again sat us down and did the talk of I, I don't know why you're transferring something that you've shot 
on this disgusting mini DV format <laughs> and that you usually haven't actually used any lighting uh, on the London <laughs> Underground. Like, I don't know, you know, why you yeah. then want to blow this up to 35 mil because it won't make it look better. It will look like this, but bigger. But bigger, like, yeah, just a big like, old wide. Uh, yeah. Which is not actually totally true. It did actually no. look better on, oh, the, okay. on the 35 mil, weirdly. Um, but uh, yeah. And what happened? And you, you now you shortlisted <laughs> and they screened it in front of all their judges yeah. and... We came ninth. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know that. We, d- we didn't come in the top five. You know, so you we presume come six. <laughs> Right. So you paid five grand. Oh my gosh. And... Yeah. And, and we've screened that print i think about four times yeah in total since we've we've had it um yeah. so do you think that's a lesson is that a lesson to sort of go I, I, did you want to take it was totally I mean, worth taking the chance so historical right? yeah, i don't definitely think you can draw any lessons from this i think you I, I think you know the the, the case here, here is like just that passion for making films and, and not sort of not aiming low does does kind of reward itself in itself and it, it's that kind of it's that approach of looking for you know another route in past all the the barriers that, that people are sort of put up to and i think i think it's amazing as well like you know already from a couple of your stories you know people have helped you that are, that are quite far along in the industry mm. uh, and that's such a valuable thing and it's it's so necessary for for filmmakers um, that are starting out because those those lessons can be big leaps yeah. in terms of like your film is going somewhere. Yeah, yeah no, it's very it's very true, and I think the like the real lesson you know is exactly that that people in the industry will usually help you out if you're honest about if you make honest mistakes. You know, the the, the points where you kind of close doors is where you don't let people help you. You know, that's actually where where the mistake is when you kind of hide your vulnerability and when you hide the things that you don't know. And that mm. often is arrogance. You know, that often is when people refer to you as arrogant and think of you as arrogant is because you're hiding this vulnerability. And, you know, I've met lots of people like that and I've been that person. And yeah, that's the kind of, yeah, the mistake, you know, is not letting everyone else in. Yeah. And I think that's so true. And I love that. And it is collaboration is key. And talking of collaboration, what a great segue I just did. Um, you two, you, you two, have, have you speaking all, of arrogance, speaking of arrogance um, <laughs> have you two always worked together? Was it always from the beginning? We're going to direct, produce, edit, to the sound together was that something you always were like we're doing this as a team right, theme song sing yeah, theme right, song yes right theme song absolutely why not <laughs> someone can sing um yeah well yes we we basically yeah. started making stuff together from the off and have always enjoyed it a shit ton more when we do it all together like uh it's all just demonstrably better yeah I suppose you always have that extra voice and I've quite enjoyed it. I have, I co-directed once, but I've definitely co-written loads, but I quite like uh, on shorts and I quite like having another voice. It's kind of like a great first AD who's really inside your head. And Mm. is that how you work together? Does one of you speak to the actors? Does one of you do more of the technical or is it a mix? It's definitely a mix. It started out more that I'd speak to actors and Chris would speak to crew, but we sort of got to the point where we managed to make one film, one short film. We we made two different films simultaneously on top of themselves without realising it. And it was only in the edit that we were discussing this scene. And one of us thought that one of the characters was dead in the scene and was a a kind of a ghost or a sort of manifestation of the other person's missing them. And the other one was like, 
no, that happened. They were, what? And it was like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, you know, wow. that, that kind of, that was as much about the way in which, the way in which we were collaborating and that kind of changed how we collaborated. But from there on, it becomes much easier now that, you know, we're both very much rooted in the intention of what everything is. And so, yeah, you know, like there's no particular division. Uh, often you sort of pick up a division as you go along of kind of like this person communicates more easily with one or other of us. So it's normally about who we're working with rather than mm. us. So it's kind of like, yeah, this actor responds best to the sort of feedback that one, you know, that Chris will give them or that I will give them. And this yeah. crew member kind of gets wound up by me being faffy or gets offended by Chris being short, you know, one or the other. It's, it's... And, and how, how, how do you, how do you go about the, the writing, the, the co, the co-writing? Um, like what, what is that process? Do you each write a scene? Do you sort of write over each other's scenes or? No, we sit together. I mean, or, you know, up until, up until the pandemic, yeah, the process was very much just us in a room um, and we, we'd screen share the same. So we'd each have a laptop and you're each able to write, but it's exactly the same thing and yeah and then we just do a lot of talking at each other and mm. you know one of us types down a version of it and the other one retypes it and then re it. yeah like rubs yeah, it out I'm, yeah <laughs> i'm usually yeah usually the thing is it's like you know the really nice thing about doing it being in the same room is that you type something out and immediately the other one's like well why did you do that what does that you know what are you trying to do with that mm. and so you you pretty quickly you're explaining what it was you're trying to do rather than what you've done yeah. yeah and so what you're trying to do you're like oh okay well you haven't actually done what you're trying to do but what if we did it this way then that might actually get closer to the intention and so mm. we're always trying to do that rather than it's really easy and you know we have found it a bit in terms of in lockdown where you know you end up sending each other stuff and then yeah. you are arguing about what's on a page rather than what's in your head rather than mm -hmm. what's behind the page and again yeah. that and that is a you know a thing that holds true across all the collaborations in making a film and as you say film is just a series of collaborations and i think you know one of the biggest myths that maybe is slightly less prevalent now, but particularly when we started this idea of, you know, cause like when we, you know, like we started just at the point that sort of Tarantino got huge. Right. And I think as a result, everyone around us saw themselves as an auteur and everyone wanted to be like the creative voice. And mm. I don't think that's how any film is made. I don't think it's how Tarantino makes his films, to be honest, you know, mm. or it may be him. But, uh, <laughs> but it's not It's not authentic, is it? It's not It's not personal. No, exactly. It's trying to mimic something. Yeah, but also it's that thing of, of people get scared of, again, of letting other people into the process. You know, people get scared of, if I share the intention behind this scene, then someone else might help me do it better. And that might mean that I'm not good enough to do it. And it is that frightening feeling, isn't it, that, you're not good enough or you you might fail and suddenly if you put yourself out there it's more likely someone will shoot you down yeah and sometimes it's people like to hold on to that and go no no i'm the author i'm in control it's my vision but actually yeah. when you do collaborate you get so much more back i imagine you guys are like that on set you seem like you are you'll actually just go cool no no what do you think what could be better here and it, from what you said it totally makes sense that's how we make better films and you can't keep everything in your head no you really can't you know and that's again one of the reasons why you know like our process you know like we did start out kind of doing the camera work and recording the sound and editing and doing all Sing the jobs the theme tune, yeah. yeah exactly and you know and you can't keep it all in your head and what's been really nice 
you know, over the far too many years that it's been is bringing other people into that process and going, well, actually, you know, if we get Ollie to shoot everything for us, Mm. suddenly that's a whole bunch of headspace that is freed up and is shared. And suddenly like, you know, and it's not that you lose control over that far from it. Instead, it's not controlling you. It's not, you know, and it's like, you know, Mm. there were times when it's kind of like, we wouldn't actually be working with actors because we'd be too busy making a film around them. And you're like, yeah, that's part of the joy of having a crew is that it enables you to work with the actors. It does. And um, by Ollie, you mean Ollie Russell, your uh, cinematographer who did Nina Forever with you, right? Great. Correct. Correct. Yes. yes. Good, good. And also, and also, I guess, um, you know, if you, if you've got crew and you, you've got something that maybe, you know, going back to what you're saying with writing as well, like with vision, if, if there's something that in your head as a sort of writer director makes sense to you, but it doesn't make sense to anyone else and you haven't sort of conveyed it enough, your HODs or your actors will be the ones that that feed that back to you and say, oh, well, that, that maybe isn't clear enough or, yeah. you know, maybe you could try this and then that will get across, you know, my perspective as a cinematographer or totally. a production designer. To- totally that, yeah. I think that's also, very, I always think that ideas don't come rationally. Like ideas don't come, they always do come fully formed, but they don't come in a way that you can see them. You sort of have this kind of like, oh, this thing. And it's incredibly beautiful inside your head, but I always feel like it goes all the way around you and you can't quite see the periphery of it. And you try and capture that. And it's never, it's never going to be that because that isn't actually a real thing. Like it doesn't actually exist. It's a feeling. And when you try and hold on to it without analyzing it, quite often you're holding on to the wrong bits of it. And when you start really challenging it and sharing it with other people, and that letting them challenge it, that's when you start being able to see what's really important to you about it. And as long as you hold on to what's really important, then you can see which bits can flex and change and which bits don't actually matter. But it's, it's that only happens when you share it, you know. Mm, I think it's so important on a film set. So let's talk about Nina Forever then, before we get to your comedy work and your recent work with Sarah Pascoe. So Nina Forever, obviously you guys were always kind of doing your shorts with, I suppose, very comedy led you know leading on from the bible literally uh, and your <laughs> comedy work there and the shorts and the bafta you know uh, long list which is still incredible and short list in fact what was the drive behind nina forever why did you want to make this as your first feature had you had other films that nearly happened just before it talk us through that process yeah we'd um so on the short film side of stuff we'd got to a point where we'd done the at the time there was like a you know different levels of scheme and the top scheme at the time was the uk film council and film for cinema extreme scheme and so we got to make a cinema extreme short film uh called hello panda which is about mm. a man who has to wank off a talking panda Brilliant. Uh, and we had originally thought that was going to be a feature film and would still like to make it as a feature at some point not using real pandas no real pandas no <laughs> yeah, yeah. no no pandas were harmed in the making of this yeah. film. i mean you know no one gets harmed by masturbation so. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> although pandas do apparently have uh problems with like mating <laughs> they need yeah, to so be like, like helping. Yeah. well this is where it all came <laughs> from was the you know basically the story the pandas used to be they they tried out for a while they they actually sort of over anthropomorphized them um in, zoos, in zoology mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they they actually thought, well, how can we get them to mate in captivity? I know, we'll show them porn. Uh, <laughs> and panda porn. Yeah, panda porn. Yeah, panda porn. Uh, so, no, it was just pandemonium. <laughs> which is, <laughs> hey, that was a good one, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's what the short's about. It's basically um, zoologist shows panda, panda porn, <laughs> asking him why he won't 
why he won't have sex with Mau Mau. And uh, eventually he knows that he's going to have to wank him off if he doesn't. Brilliant. Uh, the concept's already great, isn't it? Yeah. And you had uh, Sarah Pascal was in that um, as well as uh, Benny Wong as well, which is yes. great. Stephen yeah. Benjamin, you know, great cast, uh, which is really fun. Yeah, really fun show. So you thought that would be your first feature. You thought, did you start developing it straight away? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 But we were also at the time we were writing basically the short films, the comedy stuff always felt like we could do that as a short and we knew how we could do short stuff funny. And we always struggled trying to work out ways of doing short stuff serious Mm. in a way that didn't feel incredibly pat and sort of patronizing. And so our more serious ideas we were always writing as feature films but then obviously you guys you know you guys are the wanky talking panda guys why are you coming to us with the serious treaties on uh, it's a great reputation to have <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah, we, not, we, not when you're trying to pitch a film about the no, collapse of capitalism that's exactly that's the problem know. isn't it yeah it's true though they see a lot of people do see your shorts because they will watch them and go yeah. hang on what are you giving me and they want your shorts to be similar to the feature film you're presenting because otherwise they think well how can you do something serious right yeah yeah i think you know th- there is a absolute truism that you no one believes you can do anything other than the thing you've just done mm-hmm. even to the point with feature films where you go well you haven't made a feature film so can you make a feature film because you haven't made a feature film yeah but that's why it's really good to make a really low quality it feature film it's very true because, because then, then you, then you, then you have made it. it inescapably you have made a feature film uh, that's yeah. very true yeah and it's the staying power of it's actually because a lot of things that one of the big concerns, I think, from financiers and people that are sort of looking at you of whether you're going to make a feature is whether you will actually see it through to the end and actually finish it, whether you can actually yeah. spend that amount of time, not sort of give up or cave under the pressure. And if you've done yeah. that, then it is a sort of a tick. It's quite a big tick. Yeah. And that, I mean, actually, that's something that's much harder to do than you think. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It really is hard to make a crap feature film. It's, it really, it's still really it, hard. It really, it really is. Yeah. Really it's, 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 it's going to, it's well, going let to, me tell you. <laughs> Tom's, <laughs> Tom's like, I've got a I, couple. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I didn't, I didn't realise at the time like how, how hard getting good audio was. And like, I, I remember... I remember having like blankets wrapped around in, in like a guest bedroom that I was staying in, in in London to try and make a sound booth away from the computer that was like making such a roaring noise that it yeah. was it was blocking the sound. You had actors like basically hiding under a blanket having all the record. Our best one was was getting people to sing in a youth hostel in Berlin, and uh, we ended up building this sound booth that, where they had to lie under a bed. So you had, had to, everyone had to like cl- crawl under this bed and lie there with this microphones and and try and sing under there, which oddly did not particularly help anyone's vocal performance that day. So. The amount of stuff, yeah, it's the amount of stuff we've got to do, isn't it, to get things made and get things done with a lower budget? But I yeah. totally agree with you. Get something made because then people aren't saying, "Well, you haven't made a feature." Well, you have doesn't mean it has to be amazing or win awards. You've just made something. Yeah. Can, can I watch it? No. Yeah, no, you can't see it. I'm not going to let you see it, but, but you I can made see it. it on IMDb, right? <laughs> yeah, it says, so it says at least 60 minutes. Um, so, yeah, so let's see. You were trying to make Hello Panda as the feature. and Yeah, and, and some more serious ones. And, well, Panda, Panda actually got to a point where we got optioned with it with a producer called Cassandra Sixgard mm-hmm. um, and she really wanted to make it and we went over to LA and we talked to all the agencies about actors that they could put into it and America you know if you go to LA it's such a different way of 
bullshit to London. <laughs> it's a different kind of bullshit. Yeah, it's yeah, true. Yeah, because yeah, London, every single meeting. It's refined bullshit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, it's London, basically. Every single meeting always ends with, well, there's no money and there's no chance of ever making anything ever and you might as well give up and die. Uh, yeah. Whereas LA <laughs> is, well, there's every chance of making everything and this is definitely a winner and we're definitely going to be making it and you'll never hear from me again. Goodbye. Yeah, it's 100% true, yeah. You're just like this, uh, the complete di- direct opposite from each other. So you go over there. Like usually the London meetings, you're sat in someone's actually quite nice office in central London, looking mm-hmm. out at this sort of incredible view. And they're like, I mean, there's no money here. And you're like, so <laughs> how, how are you paying? I don't understand. And then money goes L- all to me. <laughs> yeah. And then in LA, you'll kind of like go to this huge, huge building, but they'll meet you in the cafe, uh, in the cafeteria, and you'll be sat exactly. on this little bench with this, with this guy in an ill fitting suit going kind of like, no, everything's amazing. It's just going to be so great. We're going to make this. I'm going to make this. And you're just like, I have so much faith in you guys. I'm like, yeah, yeah, so much faith you wouldn't. Make it. Come up and, and can you get the coffee office. for me? Yeah, exactly. yeah. Can you pay for this? <laughs> this is on you, right? <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, cool. I see I'm really glad at. you're excited to meet me. But yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so so that all was all happening, and we were basically reshaping Hello Panda to become much more of a conventional rom com. And so we were following all of the rules of the rom-com and we'd basically got to the point where we were like, yeah, if we just cut out all of the scenes with the panda, then we've got a vaguely decent rom-com. And we're like, <laughs> the only reason we're writing it is because of Panda. That's the only reason this film bloody exists. It's called Hello Panda. Like, you can't cut Panda out of fucking Hello Panda, can you? <laughs> well, just change the girl's name to Panda and you, you're sorted. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and you know, so we, we basically boxed ourselves in on it at that point. Right. And yeah. we'd, with other films, you know, we'd been doing the same thing of trying to hit the industry norms of what you expect a film to be and then we were off going and editing all this tv stuff in which we're kind of like okay yeah this is how you do it when you're earning actual proper money and you know it will get put on a screen and there's all good reasons for why people want to do that but then there is this thing where they go they want your passion project and what they're actually saying is they want the thing that you basically don't want to show them because you think they'll ruin it yeah. and so and we, they will. Yeah. So so we went off and wrote the thing that we thought that they'd ruin and we didn't show it to anybody. And we were literally like, we're not going to show it to anyone in the industry because we will just be told, is it a comedy or is it a horror? Which one is mm. it? Which one are you going to choose? Mm, we're not quite so sure about that. And tonally, this one's going to be difficult. And so we wrote a thing and we didn't expect anybody to understand it until we'd finished making it. And we sent it to our producer, Cassandra Sigsgaard on Hello Panda, thinking this was the end of the relationship that basically you know she's a really lovely sunny bright wonderful person who wants to make rom-coms and we were like yeah we've got this thing about a guy who has sex with a dead girl um (laughs) sorry we haven't written the next draft of hello panda we expect you probably want to stop now and she was like i really love this and i want to make it with you wow how how did you can i can i just jump a little bit back how did you get that producer that's got that kind of you know passion to believe in you and uh you know how, how did that collaboration begin because finding a producer is hard. Finding a producer is very hard. And it's worth it's worth bearing in mind the length of the relationship that we've got with Cass now. So we we met Cass on... Uh, it's a scheme called Think, Shoot, Distribute, which was part of the London Film Festival where they basically get about 30 people in a room uh, to listen to lots of different talks from people that were at the festival. Yeah, so It's a scheme that doesn't run anymore, but there are 
other schemes like it's it. It's, worth, it's a talent scheme, basically. And you'll find that, you know, hopefully, as you make short films and other things, that people can't always help you by just making your film, but they will often try and like push a bunch of people together into a room. And that's, you know, it can seem frustrating because often, I don't know, it was often felt frustrating to us because we just have this sort of monomaniacal desire to make our next piece of work. And it's like, why are we talking to the other people? These aren't us. This is yeah, helping. We can do it ourselves. We don't need them. Yeah. We've made the Bible, for guys. God's sake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, actually it's, you know, it's really important to, again, to let other people into your process. Um, and so, yeah, we met Cass on that scheme and she liked us and we liked her. And then a year later, we sent her a draft of the anti-capitalist film that we were writing and she was like um mm-hmm. yeah it's not quite me um and she was like you know are you doing anything with Hello panda because she'd seen that previously so we sent her where we we're at with that and she really liked it and so you know it was what two years of kind of being in contact with her before she kind of started working with us and then another. Yeah, and that was being in contact as mates as well it wasn't yeah quite mm. so you know like it's really easy in the industry and especially with those kind of networking things where they go hey this is your chance to network and you kind of mm-hmm. think oh well who's the important person in the room and it's just about making friends and i wish they'd just use the word friends you're right it's, it's so much better yeah, yeah. You're like, you're here to make friends with mm. these people who are around you. The person that was on the stage uh, doing a talk, they've left. Don't try and talk to them. Talk to the person who you're sat next to. Mm. Um, like actually in that room down the front was Andrew Haig. Wow. Yeah. You're like, you know, there's a whole bunch of different people that have, we, we've been sat in rooms with where, you know, about four years later, you're going, oh shit, that's them. Mm. Yeah, and talk to the quiet ones. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's it. That's, it's difficult. And Cassandra Sigsgard, is that how yeah. you pronounce her surname? Sigsgard. Uh, she did Attack the Block and About Time as well as uh, she produced those movies, always was involved in those movies, which is incredible. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. It shouldn't be networking. It should be called uh, Make Friends with Filmmakers. You know, that's a much better way of describing it. Because a lot of these producers, you know, I, I suppose, you know, exactly as you've said, won't be a producer that's interested in your next project that you are pitching in the next three months. You know, they have only just met you. So it's not necessarily that, you know, you're going to meet that one producer who's going to sort of green light your dream project there and then. You know, it is about getting to know each other. And I think think a lot of producers are like that. They want to get to know people after a while and the sort of the cold approach isn't really the way to sort of get them to think, all right, yeah, I would like to work with that person. The process of making a film is all consuming and long and having a brilliant idea even if you have a brilliant idea but you know let's say you've got the best idea in the world that is actually only you know a quarter a fifth of the process and so as a producer you go kind of like okay that's an amazing pitch is it a good script okay it's a really good script as you were saying earlier it's like does this person actually have the ability to take that good script and shape it when the casting demands that it changes or when the budget demands that it changes do they have the ability to work with a director if they're directing them so you know like the whole process is vastly more than having a good idea and so going up to someone with your brilliant idea is important and it's important that you have brilliant ideas but it's more important that you are open to working with people because if you are open to working with people then you can actually go to someone with a mediocre idea because if you take a mediocre idea to someone and they're able to help you see what's brilliant about it, 
then it can stop being mediocre and together you can shape it into something brilliant. And the a good creative relationship is worth a hundred brilliant ideas. Yeah, that's a great quote. Really nice. It's very true. Oh, so sorry. Boys, sorry about this. Robbie's calling. I have to take it. Robbie. Hey, mate. How you doing? You all right? Hey, Giles. Yeah, I need some help. Um, oh, great. I can do that. Yeah, believe it or not, the powers that be, they found out that I never sat my SAT exams, my SATs. And so I need help right. revising for that. So I've come to you, Giles, because you're, you know, you're the test king. You, you can do any exam, right? Well, thanks for asking me, Robbie. You see, I have sat many exams yeah that's, that's yeah. good that's good but seriously though <laughs> i need your help i you know I'm, I'm struggling here i've got numeracy problems literacy what tell me mm. what, what can i do I, I mean i can imagine that robbie from you but your sats you say hmm. Hmm. well you know where you can get some free sats robbie yeah keep going it's coin corner uh, of course sign up with coin corner now and use voucher code film btc to get your bitcoin journey started with some free sats Every time I come to you with a problem, you, you just you solve it every time. I don't know how you do I it. I know. I am the best, has been said. Hey, did you know that the Education Board, they're actually announcing today that they're going to be dropping the, the essay section from the SAT. Oh, no. Well, what's it going to be called then? They're just going to be calling it the T now. Oh, because... The- because you the lose the essay. Yeah. yeah, you get it. Got, yeah. Do you know, Robbie? Robbie, there are three types of people in this world. Those who can count and those who can't. Uh, <laughs> gotta go. <laughs> uh, coin Corner now, Robbie. Go there, get some sats. Okay. Educate yourself. I will. Take care. See ya. Bye. So now you've got your Nina Forever script. You've given it to uh, Cass. And what? she said, I want to work on this. This is yeah. great. What happened next? Uh, we said we're going to be making it in three months' time. And <laughs> we've got 20 grand. Yeah, so, man. Let's do it. From the editing. So we're just going to do it. And, great. you know, she was like, yeah, I think well, we can raise a bit more in right. that time and in the end we ended up making it in march not january so like about three months later than we had originally said we were going to be doing it but we raised 150 grand wow how did you do that so at Is the time SCIS? yeah seis you were at that time you could do yeah. seis and so that was incredibly helpful and it was really helpful us having money up front at the start that we were going we're putting money in and so going to other people you know, it was a lot easier for them to feel like, oh, okay, you actually do mean it. And also I get a really decent tax break. So it's only half of my money that's actually at risk. That's so good. And was that you guys going around knocking on doors? Was it literally sending emails yeah. and yeah. How did yes. you do that? What was the best, what was the best technique for doing so? Uh, talking to absolutely anybody that we'd ever worked with or, you know, come into contact with really. And yeah. so like one of the first places that we got money from was a chap who we'd made a lot of corporate videos for about 10 years previously. And, and I, I, I just say very quickly that in terms of who you go out to, it's it's often not the people you expect. Yeah. The people you expect are often very mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. are the ones that can be openly friendly. And it, it's often the sort of the roguish ones or, or the sort of ones that you think, oh, they don't really, they're not, they're not really that keen on what I do. They're actually the ones that are sort of maybe tough on you because they, you know, they want to see what you can do. And, and so, so, you know, so basically try everyone. I yeah. literally try everyone. I remember... Uh, um, back in the days, the Cohen brothers supposedly for Blood Simple, they went out and got most of their money from, by going to uh, dentists. 
Dentist, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. So yeah. I went I went to my dentist. Um, and, and you uh, said your teeth need doing. <laughs> yeah. And you were like, yeah. fuck off. <laughs> um, um, unfortunately, yeah, he didn't, he didn't have the money to put in at that particular time. It's true. Dentists used to be the thing, didn't it? Like 10 yeah. years ago. It's like, go to your dentist. They'll give money. Now, no chance. No chance. Good luck. <laughs> so that's amazing. So you managed to raise 150K on the AIS scheme, plus the yes. bits you put in, well, including. Including, it. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so the total that budget actually was also quite helpful. I have to say, like in terms of those conversations, they might just be helpful for our mindset, but it's made the conversations easier. Like again, one of the sort of the up until that point, one of the kind of standard ideas, you know, that kind of young filmmakers would tell each other was never put your own money into a film. And that yeah, was, wow, was yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. that was quite kind of like you know drilled into you. It's kind of like that's a bad idea. Don't don't you know don't put your own money in. And what we discovered was. No, absolutely do put your own money in because mm. it shows that you're serious. And yeah. it shows also that you're serious about the film being successful, you know, and it's like, you know, to go to someone when you're asking for their money and say, I'm making this film because I'm risking my own money because I think I'm going to get that money back plus some. So what I'm asking of you, I've already done myself. Um, yeah, just made those conversations a lot easier than if we were just going kind of like, yeah, can we have 20 grand? It's like, how much money have you put in? Nothing. Mm-hmm. We just want yours. We don't think it's going to work out. We think it's a crazy idea that it's just going to die a death, but That's, go on. It's so true. And I think it shows that you will work hard in post even and through the yeah. tough times. And when there's problems, you'll actually go, well, I want to get our money back, let alone my investors, which mm, is sometimes true. more important than your own. Yeah. And that is a really lovely thing. And so great. You're in a great position yeah. um, was there anything else on around that that you'd learn or you want to pass on to other filmmakers about raising finance i mean some of it is that momentum actually it's the sense of us being able to say we're, we're going to be making it in january whether or not we've got your money we don't really care about whether we get your money or not was really helpful in terms of that sense of oh this thing is going to happen um like we did that with we did a bit of um we raised some money on kickstarter as well nice yeah but that was for a part of you know we were like okay we want to make one of the scenes bigger than we could if we were just making the film with the money that we've got so the film's still happening if you give us your money the film will happen if you don't give us the money the film will happen. So it's totally up to you. And that again felt like, you know, you've just got an extra level of momentum to it. It's really easy with film to be getting into the cap in hand, please, sir, can I have some money? And waiting for six months for someone to give you an answer and then nothing has happened. And then... Which actually, I mean, that momentum goes right back to the sort of film we were making because a lot of what we'd been doing up until that point was this sense of shaping our ideas to be acceptable and that we were looking for approval. You know, you, you're looking for a producer or a production company or someone to come along and say, yeah, it's you, you're, you're what we want. And what we did with Nina very much was going, we're what we want. Like we're going to give ourselves our own momentum. This is the film we want to make and we're making it. And if anyone wants to help us make this, then they can. Um, please do. And they did, you know, which was great. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a very vital point actually about, um, you know, you know, we had to do that on our, on our last one. It was just, you have to commit to a date. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it basically it has to be in your mind um, and everyone's mind on the team that you are making this film on that date. And then, you know, it literally forces you to, you know, to, to bring it all together. 
um, you know, one way or another. And, and you just have to start, you know, planning in all aspects of, you know, I'm going to shoot the film this time. Like, you know, let's, let's, let's find the locations, let's build the crew, you know, let's build all that. And then suddenly when, when you're actually going to the investors by, by that point, you've got a film that is crewed, you know, mostly sort of casted in theory. You know, they've got the blueprints uh, of, of a business. I mean, you wouldn't sort of, you know, go to someone for a loan to start up a shop and not have any stock supplies <laughs> sort of in your business plan in or, place, yeah. you know, or not, not no location. So yeah. it, it's, it's the same thing. If it's just a vague idea, like, well, here's a script and here's a pitch deck of what it might look like. Cool. Can you give me some money? <laughs> you know, yeah. no, no one's going to be, you know, seeing that as a business plan. Yeah, yeah, has to be like that. And EIS and SEIS are, are, are making a comeback at the moment as well. So there's a lot of applications going in. So those routes are a good route for filmmakers now, except instead of you could just make one film, you now have to prove that you're going to make at least three. So that does become a little more tricky. And yeah. your investor pot does have to become you are investing in three. There's ways around it, but just so everyone is aware that that is moving forward. Uh, it was dickhead producers and people who would set up a production company, uh, take the money from the IS and then close the company down, but still release the film and then set up a new one. And they did it for years and years and years and got away with it. And that's killed a lot of us who are working hard and deserve uh, a chance like that. So sadly, those people are still making films, but soon, hopefully they won't. Um, for those in the know, you know who I'm talking about. Um <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's great. So, so you managed to to raise this money, which is amazing. You did the SEIS scheme, mm -hmm. and now you're ready to shoot. You know, you, March comes around. How much had you prepared? Had you done for storyboards? You know, because by this point, you'd done lots of TV editing. You'd done lots of TV stuff. You'd made lots of shorts uh, and I think music videos at that point. But you, you're ready yeah. to go. So, what did you? How did you prepare? Yeah, we've done shorts and docs and music videos and documentaries and yeah, all sorts by this point. But um, yeah, we did a whole bunch of storyboarding. I don't think we managed to storyboard the whole film. We didn't at all. No, we, we storyboarded the key scenes and the scenes that we knew would be difficult, uh, particularly mm -hmm. the ones where it's three people in a room for kind of many, many pages. Yeah, yes. We knew that that would present a challenge in just keeping that interest interesting but also just keeping control of the geography of it as well you know mm. yeah we actually found with that there was more useful using mannequins um so we had three little you know wooden dolls to move around because we've got three people in bed together it was actually really easy to draw something that you're like well physically that is entirely impossible <laughs> anyone to ever get into any of those positions so yeah. to actually be like no here's actually what you could do just about with these you know stiff little things moving around and then photographing that rather than rather than drawing it out it actually really helped in terms of just figuring out the physicality yeah totally the, agree. the photographing helped yeah. as, as well because particularly in a scene like that but it's your imagination or it's my imagination doesn't always work to a lens um and so it was really handy to kind of actually frame it up and go kind of like, oh yeah, when you start doing that, you, you can't see these things at the same time. Like mm. that isn't one shot that can't work. Like you're here, are, here are the actual constraints you're working with as opposed to just going, well, it's a drawing. So it's this and it's this and it's, that's all sharpened. That's all, you know. Like, yeah. It makes a big difference. Uh, the drawing to using figures. I did that on the dare. I used Lego figures and took loads of photos of their positions. It was four people in a basement, very similar sort of thing. It yeah. was like Lego figures, right. And put a, put a, like a, a dagger. It wasn't a dagger. It was a cup or whatever in one of their hands, like this person stabbing them here. And, and it actually worked really well because you could yeah. 
see more angles than you ever could before. Yeah. So it's difficult storyboarding. I can't draw. And if you can't draw, it makes you feel really depressed and it takes days and days and days and days yeah. to even do stick figures and make it make sense. I'd really love to get to the point where you can do mocap a bit easier in terms of like, you know, just off of a computer and you're like, okay, this is the movement that we're thinking mm -hmm. the actor will do. Mm -hmm. That's now in a computer. Here's a rough sort of sketch up type thing of the room that they're going to be in. Now, where mm -hmm. do you want the camera? Just keep moving around and figure that out. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be amazing. I think there are some really cool sites out there at the moment that are doing stuff like that, but I can't remember the name of them, so that doesn't help. But anyway, they are out there if people care, want to go look and help you that. But again, it still takes ages to program it all in. Yeah. Um, so so you did that. So what what other prep work did you do? Did you do full shot lists? Uh, did you work with Ollie before, I take it, your DOP? Yeah, we'd, we'd work with Ollie loads. So yeah, we did a bunch of prep with Ollie. We did a bunch of rehearsals and work with a choreographer that we often work with which was really good and it was also key to us to try and get the actors in as early as possible you know which you know was still only about a week before we shot you know but it it, it was still still very keen to kind of it's a juggle with prep because you don't want to prep to the point where you're then just telling an actor what they're going to do because that's not the point of having an actor. I totally agree. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we had intimacy coaches now become a very new thing, which is great. Mm. It's so important, especially with the Me Too movement. But back then, and even when I was acting, you know, it was literally right, okay, get your clothes off, you're going to kiss and you're going to get on with it. And it's very difficult. So the fact that you guys did that and had a choreographer in for a lot of that stuff was, it was you know, pretty incredible, really. Because um, six years ago or seven years ago, when you actually shot it, you know, that was unheard of. It didn't happen. Yeah, no, we actually devised a bunch of exercises. So trust, non-nakedness, non non um, trust exercises sort of involved, like we um, recorded ourselves walking from the train station to the rehearsal studio. And then we met two of the actors at the train station and we blindfolded one of them and gave the other one the recording. And the one with the recording had to guide the other one through the streets. And we did that with sort of different combinations of the cast. And that you know just felt like a really that's like the first thing that we did and it felt like a good way of kind of like here you've got to have physical contact with each other but it's it's just so that they can guide you safely across a road it's not there's nothing you know but it, it just sort of breaks down those barriers without it being connected to sex you know yeah and that should be and that's great uh, an amazing cast as well Fiona yeah. or Sean Essi I mean I know Sean Veery or Sean Michael Veery as he's known back then I know him really well we played football together and we've been around each other for a while Abigail Hardiman and, and Siam Barry that's how I pronounce his name isn't it uh, Sean Kian good well done Charles uh, Kian Barry as well there uh, in your cast which is an incredible cast and did you do obviously Emily cast the movie mm. for you did you look at bigger names at the time did you look at thinking right could we cast it in you know because people always say that you've got to get a big cast but what i loved about your cast is they were fresh unknown if you like even though they had done work you know they were exciting and really interesting and it helped with the film i felt yeah i mean in making the film we'd, we'd drawn up um with our friend guy we'd drawn up a sort of manifesto of ways to make our lives difficult and one of the rules that we had was that everyone had to audition and it wasn't that we didn't want name actors but we wanted, we only wanted an actor who was willing to, you know, come along and work with us. And we did break the rule uh, in um, David Troughton, who, mm. you know, for some people yeah. is a name, for other people yeah. uh, is someone who's on the archer. But <laughs> uh, we cast, I, we, we wrote him a letter and we were so behind in the casting at that point that, you know, he said yes. And I think turned up the next day to start filming. So, you know, it was... <laughs> 
<laughs> love those ones. They're the best ones, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. yeah pretty absolutely. much. Yeah. So you've so, got a lot of Archers fans uh, watching Nina Forever going, hang on, this is a bit different from what I was expecting. <laughs> for those who don't know, for those who are overseas, Archers is a, a very British radio program uh, drama that plays out every day. I think this is like uh, soap, but on 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 radio, which is really good. But anyway. But we didn't kind of um, avoid looking at bigger names. We just have, you know, only the ones who are willing to come and talk to us. And many did, you know, but it just didn't. We, we ended up with the ones that we liked most. Yeah, got the best cast, which is so important. I really yeah, think. And we actually cast longer than we wrote. Like we cast, you know, all of, like I say, all of that time period from pretty much from cast saying yes to, you know, whilst we were shooting, we were still casting. And I think that, you know, again, it's kind of, I can't emphasize enough how important actors are in the filmmaking process. And I think it's really easy to think of them as meat puppets, <laughs> you know, to turn them into Lego men with a, with a, with a cup in a hand. Yeah. yeah. Or an obstacle, you know, or a, or a mannequin. Yeah. 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 You know, or an, yeah. Or another challenge to overcome rather than another collaborator, you know, the most essential collaborator, because it's, it's the actors who the audience connect to. Like that's mm -hmm. the fundamental thing is is when you watch a film even if you're a geek and you're watching the lighting mm -hmm. fundamentally you're watching the actors for you know and if the actors if you don't connect to the actors and the actors haven't connected to what the director is really doing then it's never going to work and that's the key it's not it's not just about who's the inverted commas best actor it's about who's best to actually immerse themselves with your project yeah mm. who, who you yeah. could work with yeah, yeah, who you can work with, yeah. So important. Yeah. I think that uh, so it's a great point. We don't talk about it that much on the podcast, actually, but who you cast is vital because yeah. you don't want to be on set with someone who's trouble or is causing problems or doesn't want to do what you, you've set out or is whatever it is. You want them to be total team player. They get what you're doing and they're, they're along for the ride. I, interestingly, I don't don't mind trouble. And like, in you know, in different ways, those three all gave us trouble, but it, it was good trouble, you know. It was it was really good trouble, you know. Oh, do you really... mean trouble as in they're questioning what's happening, which is fine. It's okay to talk. Or do you mean uh, trouble I mean, as in they weren't turning up to set and they were on set? I'm not doing this. Yeah, because the reason why that that was happening was because of you know bumps in our communication, and it was mm. once we sat down, you know, like we we were very lucky. We were ages ago before all of this. We were mentored by Gillis McKinnon, mm. um, and you know, he was very, very good on this and he'd worked with actors and, he, you know, who he'd had problems with. And he was like, well, that's, it's good to have that fight. It's good to have that fight out, you know, and that as long as you do it in the right way and you don't grandstand, you don't do it in front of everybody else, you kind of, you know, Clear yeah, so he was like, yeah, clear the set. And then once everybody's gone, <laughs> he was like, you know, just say, what's your fucking problem? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because That's there is, you know, because there, there there will be one. Like people, you know, like mm -hmm. you know, with one exception that he named that we won't name. Um, you know, most actors only have are only giving you problems because they have a problem because there yes. is something that you haven't done. You know, there's mm -hmm. a communication between you and the project that isn't working yet and you get to the bottom of that and it's perfectly normal for that to happen on set and it's sort of healthy for that to happen on set and you capture you know like i think you know some of the best bits in the film are the actors discovering something are fighting it you know terrified of what they're making happen you know yeah i mean a, a big lesson we learned in the film was actually we'd started out because it's in in a bed we started out with doing a top shot 
And so the camera was really high up. So no one could be in the room. And so everything was outside mm. and you inevitably have this thing where, you know, you're doing megaphone directing and oh, wow. they're at their most vulnerable, you know, where you're going, yeah, we're asking you to be naked and bed mm -hmm. together. I'm in bed and I can't see anyone yeah. in this. Yeah. That's I know, I know what you're going is, yeah, just a bit more to the left. You know, and you're like, that's yeah. really not that helpful. And no. the, the closer that we were, for all of this, the more that they were able to just quickly turn to us and see our faces and mm. see what was going on in our heads, then yeah, the the, the better it went. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a, it's a good point on 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 that side because I think there's a. I mean, I may have may have sort of gone into this before, but but sometimes um, you know there's this kind of mentality that you have to be at the big director's monitor, like way away from the actors. Um, and often I, I find, you know, for performance reasons, it's better to just get close on, on a, you know, look at the, the focus pullers monitor. And uh, when, when you're when you're on those really performance important scenes, um, it's, yeah. it's good to be close to them. Absolutely. Yeah. No, we generally insist on like having little monitors as like a nose bag that we just carry mm. around with us. And then we're right next to them mm. in yeah. the actor's face. It's so important. So that, so that when the take ends, the very first communication is between the actor and one of us or both of us. It has and to it, be, even if it's just, that was great. Give me a minute. I need to sort something. I'll come back. Absolutely. They at least go, cool. I can settle. But if you don't say yeah. anything, they think there's a problem. They think you're not happy with their performance. Well, yeah. You, you know, you're basically going like the difference between, so they're in a theater, they can feel how the audience feels. And you know, well, the only audience they have on a film set is the director. Everyone else yeah. is doing a job. They're yeah. not, they're not paying attention to their performance. They, no. They're ready to go and sort out the thing that just fell down. Or um, sort out the costume or sort out the hair and makeup. They're watching that, not yeah. the performance. Yeah. Absolutely so, right. So the only audience they've got is, is the director. And you, you know, it's literally just being able to turn around and look at your face and be like, oh, okay, I know how that went, <laughs> you know, before you've even said anything, like with, genuinely with Fiona, she would just look straight into our eyes, into our our souls know exactly what would happened mm -hmm. and we couldn't bullshit her at all she'd just be like oh that wasn't any good was it <laughs> yeah no no that was all right you're like no it was good it was, you're like oh no i'm good let's do another one and she just yeah. immediately so true and so yeah. important actually to have that communication straight away be in the room be close be sensible it's the first thing i think every director should do before doing anything else in that room unless there's something dangerous happening is speak to the actor even yeah. if it's just a tap on the shoulder say just one minute but normally you should be saying that was great or we want to do this next time what did you feel you have to uh they're the most you're right they're the most important thing in you know that's what the audience watch yeah. it's true no one's watching the lighting or they shouldn't be you know it's cool if you are joker's a great movie but you know your focus is on joaquin phoenix isn't it you know yeah. um all that other stuff comes later yeah that's great 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 advice thank you for bringing that up so how did you feel then when you, you're on set for the first time directing your first feature film how did it feel can you remember that feeling we were too tense yeah what, like a wigwam and a teepee or um <laughs> i've had that joke since i was about seven <laughs> i've never had a chance to use it until that moment because <laughs> there's two of you it worked i'm very pleased for you thank you mate. thank you thank you <laughs> uh, yeah no literally we were just you know we'd got ourselves really quite tight and and abby had as well in terms of um her performance and that was partly coming from the fact that we were feeding that to her in in our kind of like oh well yeah we've got to get this right we've got to you know and once again the, the need to be perfect yeah, yeah. so mm. why, and we recognized it in her i think quicker than we did in ourselves but knew that we needed her to loosen up and we needed and we had a chat with her and that helped us and everything got a lot looser and a lot more fun um i mean you know the whole shoot was 
pain in extreme um it was, was always it? yeah it was just really fucking difficult man it was like uh you know just as soon they as you get yeah, yeah yeah they, they all, all are but there's always yeah. there's always some sort of problem and our mm-hmm. big problem was um we wanted to do really long takes with the actors so that they could really be in in the moment and they weren't having to think about you know where they were or anything like that it was just like yeah we're just going to go through the whole scene and that's like you know going on for it managed to be like something we'd written for five five or six pages turned out to be like 16 minutes takes um, wow. because they were really really getting into it and the only problem with that was that the blood the fake blood would dry and yep. stick yep. everyone yep. to the yep. bed oh, um, and then it would rip off all of <laughs> Fiona's prosthetics um, and so yeah there was just like just trying to get that side of stuff mm, continuity of that as well then suddenly you've got all right okay how do we is it new sheets every time how do we do the blood how do we, it's a constant like thinking process new things come up all the time yeah 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 and it was the coldest march i think there's mm. been in decades um to the point where we wanted the film to look cold um and <laughs> it was so cold and so dry that there was no breath whatsoever from anybody it didn't look cold it just, it just was, was really <laughs> just really was. cold yeah um so yeah we put in breath in post um nice which took yeah. a little while to sort out but yeah you just Give like it a breath of fresh air yeah but yeah so full was, of them today Dom. full yeah. of them well, <laughs> terrible um but yeah so it was a tricky shoot and we were always up against it in terms of trying to get as many setups as we needed every day done and to the quality that we felt they needed to be. How long was the shoot? 26 days. It was, you know, a, a okay. decent amount. Decent for a amount, feature. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, we were, it was quite luxurious, really. But at the yeah, same time... Yeah, mine and Dom's were 17. Yeah. So, yeah, we, <laughs> well, that's, we did you have pickups, but, you know. But that was a, a big thing we wanted to avoid, actually, was that sense of having to just be doing the churn and having to, you know, because, yeah, we really wanted to have the time to be thinking about whether a shot worked or not and being able to change it if it didn't rather than well it's in the can you've got to move on did you find though with that and i'm torn with this whether sometimes having less time makes you get on with stuff and go cool this is a shot make a decision get on with it sometimes when especially i find when you think oh we've got loads of time today by the end of the day you're rushing to get the shots because you took so long going i know i'm gonna think did that affect it or a uh, do you think now, looking back, would you, would you have changed anything like that? It was this specific film's really weird in terms of the shooting of it, in the sense of sometimes a performance didn't look like it was working and you'd move the camera just like five inches to the left and then suddenly you're like, oh, yeah, there you go. That's exactly the same, you know, they're doing the same thing. We haven't mm-hmm. changed the performance. We've just changed where the camera is and now it really works. And being able to have that ability to be like, okay, no, that's not working. How do we get, how do we fix it? And sometimes it's not getting the actor to change anything. It's Mm. literally just, yeah, where is that camera? And I've never felt quite so precise with any other film that we've made in that sense of, oh, that's not coming across. Why is it not coming across? I'll just put it there. Oh, there you go. There, there. It was it was really strange, but it really mm. did have that all the way yeah. through with that film was properly just like, uh, yeah, you know, the cam- where the camera was was really important to how the emotions came across or didn't come across. That's fascinating. 
Because yeah. Nina Forever is such a good film. It's really cool. As your first feature, it did have a huge impact. Um, you know, it did, like Dom said, everyone heard of it. Like Nina Forever is a really cool little indie film that did all the festivals, won loads of, you know, awards or certainly got, yeah. you know, nominated. It, it went round. It was yeah. this cool little indie film. I suppose before we get to the afterlife of it and, you know, getting the edit done and the, the sales and distribution, was there anything else on set that you learnt that you could help filmmakers out there was there anything that you wish you'd done differently or anything that you did great chronology of it i think is probably the biggest thing that i uh, how do you mean chronology regret the chronology of shooting so, oh i see the order of shooting yeah okay yeah for, for reasons that aren't interesting enough to go into we ended up having to do all of the prosthetic scenes later which is all of fiona's scenes all of the nina scenes and so we shot we basically sort of shot a kind of very naturalistic film and then a very strange and surreal film back to back. Got you. Whereas if you felt you'd shot the Nina stuff first, you might have, that might have influenced. Or just shot it more as it is in the script, just being able to, you know, that would be, you know, to be able to sort of start there, go strange, let that strangeness inhabit the reality a bit more. I think that would have... It, made things easier for us. I mean, it's something that I think we created in the edit, but we had to because we didn't give the actors a chance because, you know, they weren't responding to something that they'd been through, you know, and once mm. you, you know, and you then again, that was, you know, we did do pickups and those were life-saving because you're then dealing with performances. That, that are informed. That are informed. Yeah. They're mm. fully aware of everything that character has been through and you go kind of yeah. like, wow, why is this scene so much better than, it was when we first shot it. You go, well, yeah. can't think. Literally, can't I think, think. that's and that's a, <laughs> a really good point. The chronology of shooting, because when you let's say you've got a bathroom and you've got four scenes throughout the film, you go, well, we've lit the bathroom. Let's do them all now. But the problem is in that first scene, the actress is feeling you know calm. But the second scene, they've just gone through a death or a, you know, and they come, but they haven't seen it. And actually what I found, as much as it's a nightmare to relight and come back, the performance is always better. So obviously you two are editors and had done for a long time. You edited the movie yourselves. Was this an interesting thing? Because I'm always wary. I can edit, Don can edit, but I'm very wary of editing my own movies because I feel a sense of too much, I'm too close to it. Or I, I remember a scene where everything went wrong, but we got it. And the performance of that last take was the best and all that sort of stuff. But when you come to the edit, an editor will just go, yeah, but it doesn't work. And you, you have to lose it. Whereas if you're doing it yourself, you're forced to try and keep these shots. Did you find that was the case with you guys? Did you have a lot of talk about what was the best way to edit your movie? We're less concerned with keeping shots or stuff that's like, okay, well, we worked on that hard. I think it's, I get confused with sometimes with editing is the sense of you talk about an editor as having the distance that you don't as a director. And yet the editor knows the material better than you do as a director. So then you're mm. like, well, which one is it? Because it can't be both. And Actually, in a way, something that we did on Nina was we had uh, an editor's editor, if you will. So we got some advice from John Harris, who edited uh, 127 Hours and Trainspotting 2. And nice. yeah. yeah, Cass managed to arrange that through her contacts. Um, mm -hmm. And so he watched the film, gave us some notes but uh also gave us a couple of exercises to do so he had he had one where he's like when he starts getting stuck on a film he will just edit out anything that the main character is not in to the point where it is just literally it's just the main character's storyline and no one else's and that was quite instructive and what was the other one ben there was play with it i think that was actually 
one of the key things that he said was just like stop again stop trying to make your final film stop trying to make the perfect film mm-hmm. give yourself a chance to just make a film to just throw some shit together try and do a cut that isn't the final cut or even the next cut that it's just a, a playtime cut and when you start working that way where it's kind of like each decision doesn't have this weight on it of this has to be the thing that makes or breaks it it's just kind of like let's see what happens mm. there's so much so freeing and you work so much better because no one works well thinking about how important each decision they make is yes all right how, how valuable have you have you found it having these kind of these kind of figures that are you know maybe quite far in the industry when you're you're sort yeah, of right in relatively to i mean because you you were you're in the guiding light scheme as well like how did yeah. that sort of feed into everything like was that so that was gillies that, that yeah. was gillies mckinnon um yeah, yeah guiding lights is a great scheme um which that one uh, is still going yeah and yeah, that was, I remember hearing about that and being like, that's perfect. The kind of scheme that we've always wanted to be on because we started mm. out totally outside of the industry yeah, and didn't know anybody, didn't have any friends in it. And, you know, okay, we live near London, but we're not in London. And yeah, like uh, we managed to somehow not quite, yeah, work our way up through it or anything like that. And so we were always kind of quite outsiders to it. And so mm. that's, being able to have somebody to talk to who could give you a proper sense of yeah what it meant to be a director um was brilliant and Gillies, yeah he's fantastic mm. um, he's such an amazing director of actors yeah really that's great yeah, yeah clever tips from him of just just not being phased by the process i think that's the other thing he's, he's such a down-to-earth guy that he like it's so easy to get again to get in your head about the process of it doesn't need to be complex. You know, you don't need to kind of, there's so many mind games. I suppose that's it is that what was so great about him was that his advice about working with actors was not mind games. And so much of the other advice you get given about actors mm. is about kind of, how you know, do you trick the performance out of them? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's all yeah, about, yeah. you know, like, like, you know, the classic kind of like, oh, in Alien, they didn't know about the chest buster mm. thing and he threw actual animal guts at them and they weren't expecting it. And you go, what a horrible thing to do. Yeah. Like, yeah. like you've got you, yeah, fucking yeah. Ian Home in there. Like, you tell yeah. me Ian Home. That's a great, great, great way to get not, your actors to hate you, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But you go, like, look at the people he had. It's like, you're telling me they couldn't act surprised and horrified. Of course they could course they could it's just i've no idea if it's true or not but it's the story that i've heard so many times and you hear it similarly sort of you know again sort of a lot of those you know hitchcock stories and tarantino stories it's, it's so often about the way that they manipulate a performance out of someone and i have no idea if it's true or not it doesn't matter if it's true it's the story that goes around and i think what's really nice was instead to get someone who's kind of like no it's not about manipulating it's about being honest it's just about cutting out the bullshit and saying, look, this is what we're all trying to achieve. Yeah. And being honest with your own emotions as well. So it's something we did on Nina all the way through was being incredibly honest about where the writing had come from, why we'd, you know, and we had big, long, deep discussions about all of our thoughts and emotions and everything that was in, in there, um, outside of the script. Um, and all of that was really helpful, I think, because it did mean that, you know, the trust levels were really there. Um, because yeah, we you know we weren't trying to make them look like fools. We were actually trying to express the stuff that we kind of didn't really want to tell anybody, and so that's why we'd made a film of it. Just I mean, sometimes uh, in terms of like being being vulnerable and, and sort of you know giving back back to your actors, it doesn't always have to be something from the, the you know the script uh, or even the story. Sometimes it's just about connecting on an emotional level, and that that could be with a story of yours that's 
you know, why something is so important to you. And, and it may not be the exact same thing that the character needs to do in the scene, but if it gets them emotionally connected, then they're suddenly they're in the zone to, to, to nail the scene. So it's, yeah, it's exactly, a very yeah. broad spectrum. So now you've um, you've edited your film. You've done that. You've 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 gone through all the ups and downs. You've given it to friends to look at and done your tests. How did you get it disputed? Because you did get picked up by Epic Pictures in the US. Who obviously we know Shaked Berenson. He used to work there, and he's been on the podcast before, and is a really lovely guy. So how did you manage to get it there? It took us quite a long to edit time to edit the film, and uh, we thought we were going to get it finished in time to enter South by Southwest um, and. So we hadn't quite got it finished in time and we asked for an extension and then we asked for another extension and they basically gave us a deadline and we were like, ah, sorry, we're not going to make it. And then it took us another year to actually edit the film. And so by the time we got round to having actually got a finished film, we were straight back to them and um, they loved it. And so we got into South by, so from South by Southwest there, that's where we met Epic. We met Shaked out there. He came and uh, watched the film. First screening went pretty well. And then the second screening was kind of, the dream screening you could ever imagine. Queues around the block, two two cinemas full, which we didn't quite realise that there were two screens going on, and the audience reacted in exactly the way you wanted all the way through. And uh, yeah, so it went down really well. And so from there, it was kind of like we had a few offers um, for sales and distribution in the US, and Epic were uh, basically saying, you know, they'd uh, distribute it in the US, and there'd be international sales agents and we didn't have a sales agent at that point either. Um, it was literally, you know, all, all to happen there. And so they helped sort out a deal over here with uh, Studio Canal, mm -hmm. uh, which got it out onto Blu-ray and DVD was the main thing for them. Um, and so we had a small cinema run with it, but they were always intending to, you know, do the home home run with it more. I suppose for this kind of film, when it's like it is a sort of a deliberately quirky indie film, Getting into a major festival like that really is, in a lot of cases, like a very, very good way to try and because you, you know, going going as a cold call up to someone like Epic, you know, or, or um, Studio Canal, you've got very little hope of them it being remotely interested or or seeing where it fits. But suddenly, when you're in one of those kind of festivals, it has this this buzz that they they kind of look at it in a different light, and it's it seems like a good route, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And there's actually a really nice friendly thing, I think, on the festival circuit that you get where everybody's really supportive and they want to find good stuff and champion it in a way that, you know, in in the outside world, sometimes, you know, you can be coming across people qu who quickly want to put something down in a, or, you know, want to disregard something in a way that a festival, everybody really wants to be, you know, feeling like they've been part of something special mm, seeing it for the first time and it's like they hang on to that and that's lovely isn't it yeah, yeah I, it I agree yeah. yeah so yeah we met such a lovely bunch of people for you know basically we did like a year of circuit around the world doing different festivals and meeting all sorts of really nice folks um and yeah that was a really lovely experience really and yeah so important for films C could we could we get could we get one last piece of advice from you both for, for aspiring filmmakers maybe looking to try and make their first feature? Oh, there was a question, and, and you can jump on the back of the question that I wrote down that you might have an answer for, was what bad advice do you often hear that could jump on the back of Dom's question? So the bad advice is the kill your darlings, actually. the So often you get told, um, 
well, you know, that bit that you love, well, because you love it, you probably should get rid of it. And you're like, well, no, the only reason you're making the film is because of the bits that you love. You need to make the rest of the film work so that that bit that you love works. So love your darlings. Yeah, love your darlings because yeah. they're, they're the reason that you're actually making the film. And that's why the film will feel different and will feel worthwhile because everything else is just, you know, basically meant to be a construction towards the goal of, you know, the thing that you really love. Guess what? Everyone else really loves it now. And it's just, and it is partly because it is different and special and weird and doesn't fit in the normal shape. All of those are like, yeah, find the shape that makes that work. Don't, don't get rid of it so that it fits somebody else's shape. I love that. Uh, ben? It's true. It's advice that everyone always throws around. It comes from F. Scott Fitzgerald and um, his darling died uh, in a mental asylum. So I just don't know why we've been taking his uh, advice on this matter. Um, so long. Uh, yeah, it just seems he's not someone who looked after his darlings and it didn't pay off. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. And talking of darlings, we've got that beautiful baby in the background. Gorgeous. Yeah. We'll let you go to that, but honestly, <laughs> this has been much. amazing. Thank you so much, guys. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Absolute pleasure. Uh, ben, if you want to shoot off now, we'll go and say yeah. bye-bye with Chris bye-bye. and sort it all. Uh, thanks, Ben. This has been a fantastic episode. Of, you've learned loads, I imagine. I did as well. It was lovely to talk to the boys, Chris and Ben Blaine. Their film, Nina Forever, is out now. Do go watch it. They've obviously done lots of TV as well, uh, which we didn't get chance to talk about too much with Sarah <laughs> Pascal versus Monogamy and Out of Her Mind, which yeah. is out now, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, on player. So you can watch that on BBC iPlayer now. Uh, do you want to tell people a little bit what it's about, Chris? Uh, so uh, Out of Her Mind is Sarah. She's written a thing which um, manages to deconstruct all of uh, literature and um, storytelling and bring it all back together in a way that is actually really quite emotional, uh, very true and very funny and stick with it because it gets really good by the end that's that's kind of the show it's 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 funny it's got julia stevenson as sarah's mum, adrian edmondson as a dad who are both fucking amazing just a, a really great cast all the way through it and um yeah it's different really well done uh we'll get you guys back on uh soon when you make your next feature or your next bit of telly we'll get you both back on because you've been fantastic thank you uh, where's the best place for people to find you on the socials so you can find us on blamebrothers.co.uk and we are on twitter as blame brothers or instagram as the blame brothers and same as on facebook i think amazing you can follow me at giles alderson dom director dom lenoir or dom lenoir there you go and you can follow the podcast at Filmmakers Pod if you've liked this do tell your pals and if you really like this go on to iTunes or your podcast of choice and give us an amazing five star review why not this is all for free for you wonderful people to learn from uh, and remember you can go out there and make your indie film just as Ben and Chris have done and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well it is your duty to send the elevator back down we will see you all next Tuesday well you'll certainly hear from us until then uh, Chris thank you very much Thanks, man. Ben, thank you. (laughs) Uh, Dom, cheers. Thank you, Giles. Uh, Take care, everyone. All the best. Go make your film, make it happen. Do it. Bye-bye. Bye.